Welcome to episode 106. This is the final episode in the Language and Literacy series. Today, the one and only Jennifer Saravallo talks to us about her book, Teaching Writing in Small Groups. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. If you teach reading, in small groups, then you know the magic of using this structure. Now, what if we sprinkle a little magic from small group reading to teaching writing in small groups? I bet you're already seeing the potential there. In this episode, Jennifer Saravallo will show us the ins and outs of guided writing in small groups. Now, on to today's podcast. Back again is Jennifer Saravio. I am so honored to have another literacy guru and her friend back to the podcast. You always have a excited and warm reception here in this podcast with our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. So you were busy during the pandemic. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, I know. I look at the like the two books I wrote during the pandemic, and I was like, how in the world did that happen? Well, my kids were at home the whole time, you know. I mean, obviously they were on, on school with teachers, but I was there was a lot of parental management going on. And I honestly feel like writing was a savior for me in some ways, you know? Like it, it, it focused me, it gave me a purpose. I had a sense of audience. I missed being in classrooms with teachers, which I, which I usually do. So I felt like this was my way to speak to teachers. So although it seems very, I mean, they're thin books, you know, compared to some of my other ones, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I feel like writing or having a writing project yes. gave me so much peace and calm. I don't know if writing is like that for you, is it? Yes, it's so cathartic and it's like, it it helps me present better. It helps me teach better. I ha have all these ideas, and I'm like, how do I synthesize this? Oh, let me do it through writing, and then it comes out much more much more clearly. Yeah, and I I wonder like for how many kids that was the case too. Like how many kids, you know, got buried in a writing project, or you know, found found you know journaling or story writing or wrote a collection of poems or, you know, or how many teachers made space for that during this really, um, you know, disrupted year and a half we've had. Right. And it's not too late. If you haven't, maybe now isn't the time, right? <laughs> right? You'll tell us how to do that. Um, yeah, I hope to. <laughs> well, so you, so you, we're going to talk about teaching writing in small groups, but you have another book that you also wrote this year and it's that's understanding texts and readers. Oh, no, that one's a few years old. Um, during the pandemic, I wrote Connecting with Students Online. Oh, yes. And then this this one, this Teaching Writing in Small Yes, sorry. Can you, uh, so sp 
Speaking of writing, can you tell us a story about writing that has really informed your practice to this day? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a, a Jen made a mistake story. Those are always fun to hear, right? <laughs> um, I think it's really important to, to keep it real all right, and be honest. I remember when I was a third grade teacher in New York City, a humongous class, like 34 kids. And I was really trying hard to confer with everybody regularly. I really, you know, believed in the value of one-on-one -on -one conferring, especially in the writer's workshop. And I would make my way around the classroom as much as possible. This was before, a time before I really was organized about my conferring. It was more like float around and see who needs me kind of conferring. And I often would go to the kids who needed the most support as evidenced by they weren't engaged, they weren't working, you know, they, they looked stumped and I would, you know, go over to them. And there was one boy who was always furiously writing. He would have his head bent over his loose leaf paper and he was going to town writing, 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 writing. And I left him alone for too long, probably like a week, week and a half. I was like, oh, he's fine. He doesn't need me. I'll work with the other kids. Well, finally, one day I went over to him to see what he's been up to. And I found a stack of loose leaf paper with the exact same story written on it over and over and over again. <laughs> So he had copied by hand, like a little Xerox machine, a little eight-year-old Xerox machine, copied by hand the same story over and over and over again. And honestly, that was one of the moments where I said, I've got to get to these kids more frequently. I can't, I can't only, like as valuable as one-on-one -on -one conferring is, it can't only be one-on-one -on -one conferring. I've got to find ways to work more efficiently, right? And that's where small groups actually came into play. That's where I started seeing patterns in my class, pulling kids in threes and fours at a time um, to work with them on their goals so that I could see everybody. At least my goal was twice a week. I wanted to try to check in and teach or reinforce or, you know, review um, a strategy connected to a goal at least twice a week somehow, whether it's during partner writing time, during a small group time, during conferring, but twice a week, that was my goal. And even with a big class, I was able to pull that off thanks to small groups. That's why people love, love hearing from you and reading your books is because you just make it so practical because you were a teacher and you still write your books for teachers and heart of teachers. And so it's, we so appreciate it so much. Thank you. Yeah. And, and even though I don't have my own classroom now, I'm still in classrooms. Well, the pandemic sort of interrupted this. I've been visiting classrooms over Zoom, but I'm eager to get back in classrooms in person um, because I think there's... There's nothing like being in a classroom with kids, troubleshooting, seeing what doesn't work, revising, adjusting. There's so much of that, right? Creating, coming up with new ideas. So I'm really eager to get back in classrooms. And I appreciate that story that you just shared about your kid, because if you, if you struggled, wow, that gives us hope that we can do this too. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that that's, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot from teachers is that conferring can sometimes feel really hard in writing lots of reasons right one is just the efficiency necessary to get around to all your kids frequently and feeling like if i'm not getting to them frequently enough i don't know what's going on that's that's you know that's unsettling um but there's also a lot of you know like off the cuff decision making you need to make um, obviously informed by goals informed by skill pro progressions um, there are tricks and tips to making that easier um, but in some ways, small groups, you know, because you can kind of think ahead, like how, what group is this going to be? Who's in my group? What are they working on? You have a little bit more opportunity to prepare. And, um, I think they might be 
for some teachers that are finding conferring hard, it might even be easier to start with small groups. Right. Well, you just kind of jumped into your first chapter, well, your first part of your book, which is the case for small group writing. Would you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things we already talked about, I mean, I think efficiency is, is one of the top of the list reasons why, you know, if you're coming from, um, let's say a workshop approach like I was, where I was working with one-on-one -on -one kids, the, the a main case for why to do small groups is efficiency without sacrificing all the benefits of conferring. So you're still getting that opportunity for feedback, right? I'm getting feedback from kids. What, what, what from my teaching is working and what's not. And I'm able to offer feedback to kids. Oh, here's how I see your here. How, here's how I see this strategy is going for you, or here's what you might want to work on next. You've got the opportunity to build relationships just like you would in conferring, right? You really are getting to know kids. You're really listening to them. You're responding to the kinds of things that they need. Um, so it's all the benefits of conferring without sacrificing, the, you know, the great parts of conferring and working more efficiently. And then for some teachers, they might not have a conferring practice going, right? They might be doing more of like a whole class model where uh, maybe it's shared writing or interactive writing where the whole class is composing a text together, or perhaps it's the middle school classroom where there's a teacher assigning, you know, an essay and everyone's writing the same essay and it's more whole class lessons, but there's not a lot of differentiation. And so the case there is there's, there's going to be a wide range of needs in your classroom. So yes, the whole class teaching is going to hit on some of that, but by pulling kids in groups, you can really target what they need and, and help accelerate progress. Right. It's very similar to uh, the concept of small group reading. Like we understand guided reading, uh, or that's that's very familiar in the field. And now with this book, it's like, oh yeah, applying the same principles of yeah. small group reading to small group writing. I thought about like just reading the title, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do that. Yeah. I, I get kids together, we read the text together. Why don't we do that with writing? Oh yeah, light bulb moment. Can you tell us about uh, the process of forming groups? Yeah, this is really important. So if you put a, pull a group together because they're sitting in the same corner of the room, or if you're an intervention specialist and you see these three kids from three classrooms at 10.30 every day and they're a group, what I say to teachers is that they're not necessarily a group just because you pull a small number of children together at once. What makes them a group is that they have something in common, they have a common need. So in order to figure that out, you've got to do some assessment. So in the book, I guide teachers through using a couple different tools. So one tool is um, a hierarchy of writing goals, which is a list of 10 goals in order from stuff I'd address first to stuff I'd address later. There are things like engagement or getting ideas for topics of what to write about, down to things like making sure my writing is organized and has good detail and I've considered word choice and grammar. So um, this uh, hierarchy might be familiar to people who have my writing strategies book because that's when I first published it. So this is a sort of expansion on that and I really walk people through different sample student pieces to try to get them comfortable um, looking at student writing and, and identifying a goal. And then the other tool I use um, that's part of this, this resource are skill progressions. So I've taken each of those different goals from the hierarchy and I've kind of cracked them open and I've shared how I think about, let's say the goal of elaboration or adding detail, how does that develop over time for kids? So that when you're trying to determine is elaboration something I should work on, you could use that skill progression to see where they are. And then also once you've chosen a goal and you're gonna work with kids in small groups or one-on-one -on -one in conferences, you can continue to monitor progress. 
So if they started off here on the skill progression, I've taught them some strategies and then hopefully they've, they've grown. And that's a help to the teacher to know when's it time to move off this goal and onto something different. Yeah, that's really cool thinking about like, same thing with guided reading. We say, okay, these are kids that need this kind of goal or this kind of mm -hmm. skill, let's pull them together. And you're doing the same mm -hmm. thing. You're saying, oh, these students have the commonality of needing this particular skill reinforced. Mm -hmm. Let's pull them together. You talked about the progression. Could you talk about that? The, you said that the hierarchy, I was like, yes, a framework. <laughs> well, I just, I've worked with so many teachers who um, rightly notice that a student writer could use a lot of things. Right? A student writer, you look at a piece of writing, you're like, well, he could use some help with the spelling and uh, especially vowel patterns. He could use some help with ending punctuation. I don't see capital letters. Also, it's a little disorganized and maybe there's some more detail that could be added to the intro. And you look at this piece and a, a lot of times you say, well, where do I start? And because we know from research, like especially you know, researchers like John Hattie, who's done meta-analyses of effective practices in the classroom, it pays off when we focus, yes. right? Rather than trying to teach six things in a five-minute conference or in a 10-minute, right? You teach one thing, you explain, you show, you guide their practice, you give them feedback, opportunities to reflect, right? That's what we know from research works. And so if we know we have to focus, then we have to have some tools to determine, well, what is the most valuable focus, right? What's the thing that I think is most worth paying attention to. And so the hierarchy is really not about saying this is more important than that. All of it's important. It's rather saying to teachers, yeah, they're student writers. They're going to need lots of different things. Let's start at the top, work on it for a little bit, and then work our way down. Right. So for example, on my hierarchy, organization comes before detail. And the reason for that is that if you teach kids to add tons of detail, but their piece is disorganized, you actually might make it worse right? because it becomes more confusing. You're not sure why all that information's in there. But if you work on organization first and they have a clear structure, then the detail more meaningfully fits with the parts of the, of the story. So they're both important. You've got to have organization and you've got to have detail. But the question is, what if I'm going to focus on something and sm good small group instruction, good conferring, Good whole class mini lessons require that you're focused on one thing at a time. Right. Uh, Dr. Bernadette Brown said that clear is kind. And when you were sharing that, mm -hmm. I was like, this applies perfectly because when we were clear with saying, hey, uh, Jimenez, we're going to only focus on this one thing and not the 12 thing that I really see in your paper. Because I used to do that. I probably still do that. I go, okay, work with this, work with that. And I'm like, wait, what's going to really move the dial for this kid? Right. What's going to really help them shift their writing to what's going to be really transferable? And I think your hierarchy is super, super helpful. So the organization is for one of them and then details is another. Do you have the mm -hmm. other ones? Oh, yeah. So actually, the, the first one is about helping kids to compose with pictures, because I want kids before they're even before they're even able to write words before they even know their alphabet, I want to support them with their composition. Uh, Katie Ray and Matt Glover write a lot about this um, in their book, Already Ready, right? That really young kids can compose text across genres, across pages in a book, right? Then we move into engagement, making sure that kids have motivation, energy for writing, that they enjoy the act of writing, that they have ways to stay focused and block out distractions. Um, then we have um, generating ideas. So coming up with uh, topics to write about that I really like that I'll spend time with and take throughout the writing process. Then it moves into qualities of writing. So being able to have a focus or meaning to my piece, being organized and having clear beginning, middle end transitions, um, then details, 
and word choice. So making careful decisions about what words I'm including or making revision decisions about word choice. Um, then grammar, punctuation, spelling. And then the last one, which isn't really last, but one thing to keep in mind is partnerships and clubs. So getting kids to be with, with, with social groups in some way so that they can, you know, for, throughout the process, generate ideas together, brainstorm, rehearse out loud before they write, give feedback, things like that. Well, you spoke to the heart of multilingual teachers or teachers of multilingual learners because you you said grammar, punctuation, spelling are probably like the lower, not the lower tier, how do I say this? They're not the priority that we want first. And with oftentimes working with multilingual students, teachers will go to grammar, punctuation first. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that you communicated that it's not, that's not the only focus that we probably want to start with. Yeah, I mean, it's a critical focus. It's important, you know, if you, if you want to be a strong communicator, you have to learn ways to represent your ideas on the page so that other people can read it, right? right? So it's very important. But, and probably, you know, as a teacher of multilingual learners, you also have language goals for kids alongside writing goals and reading goals, right? So you're working on those as well. And that's another place where they're learning about, you know, uh, language conventions like grammar, punctuation. Um, but what I what I learned from my mentor, Lucy Calkins, is that oftentimes kids have more energy for doing the conventions focused work when they have a piece that they're really proud of, that they have an audience intended, you know, an intended audience in mind and they want to share it. So getting kids to, you know, to be and the other thing is that it takes a lot of attention for young writers or for children who are multilingual to apply rules of spelling. I think about somebody who's a, um, wait, where are you? I always forget. Are you in Thailand? Yeah, you're in Thailand. Think of a, like a, a Thai speaker learning English and how challenging, right? How challenging that is to spell everything correctly. And if you said to them before they've even really gotten a good idea going, make sure you spell it all right. I feel like that's just like puts a wet blanket on their process in a way, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, it's something I definitely address. It's very important, but I find that once kids have a really great story or a awesome persuasive letter that they wanna share, mm -hmm. then you can say to them, hey, we wanna make sure that the people can read it and that you're in charge as the author of how they read it. And that's where the punctuation comes in. And that's where the grammar comes in. So let's go back and work on that. You're giving them a context to actually learn the grammar and to learn the punctuation, the spelling. Yeah. You're you're saying like, don't get lost by the leaves. Like see the forest, the forest is really yeah. good. And we'll get, we'll get lost with the leaves and the kids don't mm -hmm. wanna just focus on leaves. Right, right. Let's move to talking about another chapter or another section, which is uh, the principles of effective small group writing. Yeah, I mean, this, this chapter is really about um, principles of effective teaching in general. Like uh, how to give really good feedback and what are the elements of effective feedback and that really, it's not just about small groups, like that's the secret, right? It's, it's not even just about writing. Like this chapter really helps you think about um, all your interactions with kids across subject areas. How are we talking to kids? How are we giving them feedback? When are we giving them feedback? What does the feedback sound like? Um, so I have these tables that give sort of contrastive examples, like a, instead of doing it this way, do it this way. Um, and I based um, a lot of this chapter on research from Zaretta Hammond's awesome book, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain, um, a little bit from John Hattie's uh, book around feedback. Um, 
yeah, so it's it's a really research-packed section, but also really relevant um, and and doable in the classroom. So that's a big part of it. Um, another big part of this chapter is about considering, and again, this is about small groups, but it's about everything, considering how much work is the teacher doing and how much work is the student doing. So there are some times when you're gonna need to do a full-on demonstration with voiceover. There are times when you need to do shared practice to get kids going, but there are some times when you can just say the strategy and get the kids working. And I think sometimes because we're, you know, in a small group, we've chosen kids who need this new strategy. We assume not only do they need the strategy, they need a lot of explanation before they can get started. But one of the beautiful things about small group instruction or, or conferring is because there's so few of them right there with you, I often find you don't need to do a lot of upfront teaching. You could just get them working. And because you're right there to give them feedback, it's almost like they can serve as models for themselves or the other students at the table. They get working and um, you know they can be models for the other children too. So I talk about I talk about that. You know, yes, you know, do some work as the teacher. Yes, do some teaching, but only do as much as the kids really need. So to make sure that they're really the ones practicing um, in the small group. Um, and then I talk about making sure that. Um, you know, the instruction that you're offering is aligned to the goals. We already talked about that. And then of course, you know, me with my strategies, I talk about the value of explicit, clear, step-by-step -step broken down strategies and what that sounds like and why that's so important. That's the, that's kind of the meat of that chapter. And it's very reminiscent of your other book, your conferring book, right? It's, yes. and I love that one. That was when I first had you on the podcast. You just really gave us a really clear structure of, how to, uh, how to organize our, our feedback. There's actually a, a, a process that you go through. And so um, I will refer to, I will have teachers go to that podcast and your book on that because the <laughs> whole, you, you wrote about it in a, in, in a condensed version, but there is really, it can be expanded to your whole book. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, honestly, that book, Teaching um, a Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences, in that book, I talk about conferences a lot, but I also talk about assessment and I also talk about goals and I also talk about small groups, actually. I address, you know, small group strategy lessons, book clubs. And likewise, in this one, the title is a little bit misleading because it says teaching writing in small groups, but I also talk about conferring as, as foundational. So in a lot of chapters, you know, like there's a chapter, for example, on inquiry lessons. And I show a video, there's a lot of video content in here too. I show a video of a one-on-one -on -one version of what that looks like, how to guide kids through inquiry to help them discover what authors do so they can try it in their own writing. And then I show us what a small group version looks like. So there's also a lot of conferring in, in this one too. But yes, you're correct. This is my like my writing methods book. And then my teacher's guide to reading conferences is the reading methods book. It seems like the, so this is like a series, right? And <laughs> yeah. And it seems like the the red uh, thread that runs through all of this is conferring. It's not just assigning work, it's uh, modeling and then having kids come together and work with you to say, oh, how can I guide you through your process? Yeah, that's what it is. It's really about um, the importance and value of guided practice, right? And, uh, alongside, yes, there's gonna be some whole class direct instruction, but my experience, and, and perhaps it's just because my teaching experience was working in large classes in New York City with a huge range of, of learners. 
um, spoke different languages, had IEPs, you know, needed different things. I just found that it was the guided practice where the rubber hit the road, right? The guided practice, whether it was small groups or one-on-one, that's where they made the biggest gains. That's where they made the biggest progress. So I think it's just what interests me the most. And it's why I write so much about small groups and conferring. I'm thinking about my own practice. I'm like, oh, confession of a teacher. So I, I don't really confer with kids, but kids give me work and then I provide comments with them at the end. That's not really conferring at all, but I'm thinking about the way you do it. I'm like, yes, because then I wouldn't have to spend my weekends and evenings giving feedback. It's right there. It's, it's active and kids can have an interaction with me. Yeah. And you might find, I mean, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but you ever spend the time to read this piece and give written feedback and hand it back. And then you look at their next version and you're like, did I not spend all night giving you feedback on this? I don't see any evidence of it. Right. (laughs) So maybe this year you could try to, yeah, give them the feedback in conversation or I, you know, I did this thing during the pandemic when we weren't with kids. And I know you, before we started recording, you told me that you're starting off the year virtually as well. Something I write about in connecting with students online is called an almost conference. So it's kind of like an in-between the sitting down with kids, which we I couldn't do you know, when we were online um, all the time. Well, you could do it over Zoom, but um, it's in between that and um, written feedback. And what you do is you um, bring up their work like on a Google Doc and then record a Loom video of you giving them feedback. So they see a little video of you giving feedback and highlighting and giving a comment and so they, and then you send them the two minute video. So it's a, it's a little better. It's a little more personalized than written feedback, but you could try that. You could try that this year too. Oh, I'm going to have to come back and say, Jen, I did it. I did it. Yeah, please do. Let me know how it goes. Let's talk about uh, in the part two of your book, which is all about different types of groups we can form. Can you talk, can you list them briefly and then talk about them? Yeah, sure. So, so this is the bulk of the book. It's, uh, you know, probably two thirds or three quarters of the book is about the different kinds of small groups, um, how they go, important, you know, methods to notice in each of them, the structure, the pacing, how to pull kids, why you choose it, who it's good for. Right. Um, and so what I did was I, I took, um, probably I start off with this type of small group I use the most, which is a strategy lesson. And that's just pull kids together, tell them why you brought them together, get them working and go around and give feedback to each one. And I use this structure in math. I don't teach math anymore, but I used to Right, math reading. This structure works across, across content. Um, And then I move into a structure I call guided writing. And I didn't really find a lot of people who have written about this. I didn't see a lot of uh, other practitioners who have written about this idea of guided reading, but I'm sorry, guided writing. We know guided reading, but in guided writing, what I try to do is um, it's a very heavily scaffolded structure for kids who are maybe brand new to a genre, possibly for children who are learning a language who could use that extra language scaffold. And so what you do is you provide them with the start of each sentence or the start of each paragraph, and they write down what you've given them, and then they try to finish the sentence. I don't want to stay in this kind of a structure for too long, but as a temporary scaffold, I've found it really helps kids get into the groove of like, you know, writing an essay for the first time, for example. Um, Then I move into shared writing, which, and interactive writing, and those are two structures that probably primary teachers know about because they're very common whole class teaching structures. Um, there's a, a lot of evidence base behind both of them. You know, shared writing is where 
teach the teacher um, guides kids through the process of coming up with a topic, planning and composing the text and rereading to check and revise. Um, sometimes it's done in one sitting or across multiple sittings, um, but the teacher holds the pen the whole time. So she's he is eliciting ideas from the, from the students and then holds the pen and, and does the scribing. With interactive writing, the teacher and student work together same process, come up with an idea, rehearse what we're going to say. And now I'm going to write the first letter, you write the rest of the word, or um, you come up and put the space, you know, put your finger down for a space and I'm going to write the next word. And so I find interactive writing to be a little bit more helpful with um, more conventions goals or helping really young writers who are at the beginning of, of learning to compose in words. Um, then I move into inquiry groups. So people probably have practices where they are um, studying mentor texts together with the class and drawing conclusions from what does the author do? What should we try? And I propose doing that same kind of work in small groups so that you can be more focused on what you're looking for based on the student's goals. Um, reflection groups, which both help kids set goals and also monitor and reflect on how they're doing according to those goals. I talked earlier about Hattie's research around um, opportunities for guided reflection being critical to help kids with their goal setting and to you know move along the you know move along a progression with their goals. So that's what that's about. And then the last but certainly not least is about social grouping. So working with partnerships and working with clubs um, and how that can look. Uh, usually partners are uh, just decided on by the teacher, right? So who's going to be together based on, um, you know, certain set of writing skills or goals that they have. And I find clubs are more likely to be student driven. So kids decide, oh, we're going to be in a club and we're going to write, uh, we're going to come up with songs and make music videos, or we're going to be in a club and we're going to write, you know, fan fiction for this author who's, who we've read a bunch of books from in, in a series of it, you know? So um so those are, yeah, so those are different kinds of small groups. And my purpose for sharing them is just to get teachers thinking about different ways that the group can go um, and different situations, you know, age of the child, the goal that the child has, different situations where certain types of groups work better than others, um, all in service of helping kids with their individual goals. Yeah, when I listen to you list all the different uh, types of groups, I was like, oh, these are just scaffolds for writing and you yeah. you you pull they're like tools on your toolkit and you pull one out and it as it needs as it fits the needs of students right and you're like oh and I especially like the shared writing uh, because I was thinking in our field we have, we have something called language language experience approach and so it's a wonderful mm -hmm. way to get kids to like co-write with it's, it's, it's really helpful for uh, emerging uh, bilinguals or multilinguals, they co-write with the with the teacher. The students are giving the ideas and the teacher is writing it down. And then now they have a shared text, they have a shared writing experience. So I was like, yeah. And so valuable, not only to help with the craft of writing that language experience that you're talking about, um, but also to support them with vocabulary, content development, right? Especially if you're, you know, let's say you're going on a, a trip to the zoo and kids are learning about all the different animal, remember field trips? I just remember that. Remember field trips? I'm like, yeah. Um, but, you know, like, and you're learning the names of all the different animals they see, or they're learning certain content specific vocabulary, like zookeeper or, right, feeding schedule or whatever it is that they're learning. And then you come back and you write about it together. That, um, you know, they heard it. Now you're writing it. Now they're going to take that text and they're going to read it again. So it supports them in so many different ways. So, uh, yes, for the teachers who are already uh, 
doing the language, language experience approach, this is so close to what you're talking about. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're, the principle of uh, using the structure as a scaffold for writing is already in your book. Right, right. Let's talk about the other parts of the last part of your book, which has 12 videos. Even though you wrote this during the pandemic, you were able to get videos. So can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so, it, well, you know, when I, I started writing this book, I think it was probably two weeks before March of whatever that was. <laughs> um, it was like a few weeks before. And I remember as soon as it was clear that the whole everything was shutting down, my editor said, do you still think you can write this book? And I had conceptualized it around video. Video is such an important part of the book. It's a slim book, but the video content is meant to really show what I'm telling about. And I think it's critical. Like my own experience as a teacher, I read so many books in college and then I got in my classroom. I was like, that's not how it was described in the book, right? And it wasn't until I had someone coming in and modeling for me that I was like, oh, that's what it looks like. So I, as a, you know, as a, as someone who supports teachers, I just always want to show, I want to show with video or I want to be in their classroom and show. So I, I was like, you know, when she first asked me, do you think you can still write this book? I said, well, I've got to figure out a way to make the video happen because I don't want to write it without the video. So I went back through old footage. So you'll see some footage of me without my glasses with a lot less gray hair. <laughs> So some older footage that worked as examples for some of the things that I was showing. And then where I didn't have examples, I did the videos over Zoom. So I had kids, you know, kids on Zoom and we did small groups on Zoom, which, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'll replace those next year when we can all be back to normal, but we're not, we're not there just yet. So I do still think those Zoom examples can be really, can be really helpful. And I'll also say for people who are in, um, in person school right now, you know, safety is a very big concern and keeping distance and not getting too close. And you don't want to be like huddled together at a small table talking like that's like a super spreader, right? Situation. So I, I, you know, I, well, I think small groups are so critical right now, given all the interruptions that kids have had with, um, with COVID, we want to make sure to do it safely. So it may even be that in the classroom, you're still utilizing Zoom to pull kids together right. virtually, right. right? Everyone wears headphones, you're all logged in the same Zoom room or whatever it is, and you can still meet with the kids in a, in a kind of small group using digital tools. So I hope that those videos are helpful examples for people, whether they're in person or um, are, are still doing virtual learning or some kind of hybrid version of the two. I know that you said you wanted to replace the Zoom videos with like actual teaching with kids. And I was like, no, because we get to see the principles applied in a different context and they still yeah. work yeah and the zoom videos are with kids they are they're they're real <laughs> you know, i really am teaching i'm really teaching for real with children but um but yeah you're right it, it's it's the the structure works whether it's online or in person um yeah so i think yeah you're right and it's also a moment in time right it'll always be like, okay, this is a book that was written in, during and came out during the pandemic, we can tell. And I even dedicated it to teachers during the pandemic, my dedication, yeah. So it really uh, puts it in, in a moment in time. And it pairs so nicely with your uh, Supporting Students Online book. Oh, thank you. So let's end the podcast. Is there anything else that I didn't get to ask you about the book that you want to share? I think I shared, you know, a good overview of everything. And I would just say um, to folks 
who want to learn more to join my Facebook group or check out my website where I've got blogs, um, uh, follow me on social media. I, I do try to share a lot of things that are just, you know, open access in addition to the books that I write. Yeah, you're a very kind and gracious person. Oh, and thanks. I, and I would say the videos themselves are is just, just worth getting the book. Oh, thank you. Because you really model for us. Thank you. So let's end the podcast with uh, red, green, and yellow light. Do you remember those? Oh, I forgot you do these questions. Wait, hold on. What's the, what is, <laughs> I forgot about this. I'm not prepared. Hold on. Let me, let me get in the mindset of a quiz. Okay. I know. A, a red <laughs> is something that you would ask teachers to stop doing in terms of okay. writing. Uh, yellow is something that you, we can uh, pause, let's go slowly with, slowly Okay. With. And then um, a green is, what is something we can go full speed ahead with in terms of writing? Okay. Okay. Let's think. Let's think. Let's think. Um, I would say for the red, I would say try to stop. If you do do all whole class writing, try to stop and transition to seeing some differences amongst your students and try to find ways to, to work with them in smaller groups. Um, green full speed ahead. I think you know, one thing to, to really have in mind this year is engagement. And the more we can offer kids opportunities to choose their own topics, but also choose the formats in which they write. Like, for example, if you have a unit that you have to do, you know, fourth grade does fiction writing, you know, consider if you can open it up to how do they finish that piece. Maybe it could be a graphic novel or a picture book or a right? Or just a short, a typed short story, or maybe they can use book creator online, right? Um, and then maybe the book creator one leads me to a segue with the yellow, which is a lot of people during the pandemic have transitioned to digital tools for writing. And I think for some kids, they've been a godsend. And for other kids, it's slowing them down, or it's causing them to distract. So maybe the yellow is like, keep an eye on how these digital tools are helping or hindering students and make maybe case by case, individual by individual decisions about what to keep and what to move away from. Well, Jen, I know that early in the podcast, you said your mentor, Lucy Calkins shared with you. And I know that people see you in the field as Lucy Calkins passing the torch onto you and you're the next. Oh my gosh, that's a huge, thank you. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> well, you, you deserve it because people, wherever I go internationally, your book is always in elementary school classrooms and middle school classrooms, and they're there. And I was like, that's my friend, Jen. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I just enjoyed following you on social media and learned so much from you every day. So thank you for all you do to support the field and this podcast that you do. So thank you for all your work. Oh, it's always an honor to have giants in the field like you grace our ears. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. 
I really appreciate this conversation as it is helping me think of writing instruction in a completely different way. The part that I value the most about this conversation are the types of small groups that teachers can use to develop students' writing skills. Each one is a different way to scaffold writing, which is exactly what our multilingual students need, clear, explicit writing instruction. The Jennifer is not a language specialist. Her suggestions transfer nicely to our work with multilinguals. In the next episode, I am so excited to share with you Trevor McKenzie. He'll talk about inquiry and what that means for multilingual students. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Never